Hey everybody, and welcome back to Flagcast. We're on episode 39 of the podcast, and today I'm just trying to stay warm up in this Canadian winter. With me in the Flightcast virtual studio is Mr. Mark Skyhawk Heavy Denton. How's the weather down in Alabama, Mark? It's January. And it's hot as hell. And the AC look, on? last week it was 20. Oh, I, well, yeah, I've got it on. But for the sake of the uh, podcast today, I've turned it up so it doesn't growl at us. <laughs> the beast. Yeah, the beast. So, <laughs> yeah, last week it was like 20, 30 degrees. Uh, this week it's in the 70s. So, yeah. Well, that's nice. How nice for yeah. you. Oh, we, yeah. we had um, we've had just literally snowstorm after snowstorm. And uh, last night I was just reading and it was pouring rain. <laughs> and then they uh, canceled all the buses this morning for the kids because it's ice. And that's, you know, see, that's a good reason to cancel buses and the school and all yeah. that. Down here, if the forecast says it's going to be 29 degrees in the morning, schools are closed. Really? Yeah. I guess schools you, are closed. You know, your your children don't have adequate, uh, I guess, outdoor wear for that kind of weather. Well, you know, Matthew does now with that new little flight jacket he's got. Yeah, 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 yeah. He for so we haven't talked about that for Christmas. He got uh, like a bomber jacket. Yeah, it's a uh, it's actually a squadron issue, uh, a U.S. Navy squadron issue flight jacket um, from uh, from the Night Dippers, uh, which is a Seahawk squadron, uh, the H sixty Seahawk, and of course he loves the uh, the H sixties, and which still blows me away. How am I a rotor wing, or a uh, fixed wing pilot, and I've got a son that loves helicopters? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but, he can't be perfect, right? He's close. Well, you know, he he will grow into perfection like <laughs> I have. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, and so you know, he loves the sixty, he loves the Seahawk. But he also loves the Seattle Seahawks. How the hell that happened? I have no idea. He, I, I have no idea where he got that. But so you know, it's just a culmination of so many things. But for him to actually have a real Navy issued squadron jacket, yeah, that's cool. That, yeah. Did uh, Jesse help you with that? How many tours? Yes, yes. That is that is uh, from the assistance of Jesse. Really surprised me with that. Um, and of course, it's got the squadron patch and uh, mission patches and. Uh, stuff like that. So, you know, he just, he, he thinks he is just a bad <laughs> now. So, um, you know, so I'm working on a few other things for him, uh, with, uh, with some contacts, I'm getting, uh, a name badge made for him, uh, offered by, uh, someone, um, that is in the coast guard. Nice. Um, and you know, of course going to send, so he's like, does Matthew like patches? I saw him on his flight jacket. And here's some of the patches that I have that, you know, I have extras I'm willing to part with. I don't know who gives a crap what he likes. I love patches. <laughs> you know, I've, yeah. I've been wanting to make a shadow box for years of all the stations that my father was, you know, based at. So, yeah. but yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Awesome. And he's getting a flight suit. Oh yeah. Why not? Does he have so any interest we, in flying? I I've never asked you that. You know, I'm, I'm still really kind of questioning that. Actually he does. He does. He, uh, he, he's, he's a 12 year old, you know, his, 
His focus is not as much into aviation right now, but it is significant more than what mine was. I mean, I've always loved aviation, had a passion for it. Um, but growing up, I was really big into sports and, you know, he's big into basketball, of course, his ninja class. Um, he's starting to <laughs> karate get into for girls. anyone who's doesn't know what Mark's talking about. Oh yeah. It's, it's MMA, but, uh, we'll give credit to Joe for calling it ninja class and it's just kind of stuck. Yeah. Um, so, uh, of course girls, but yeah, he, he loves aviation. Uh, he still stops and looks up when he hears something and tries to guess what it is. He loves going to the museums, the air shows, and he loves going with me when I go spotting. So uh, I still got to take him up. I haven't taken him up yet. For anyone wondering who we're talking about when we say Jesse, that's uh, Mr. Jesse Roberts, and he is uh, Speedbird203 on Instagram and uh, on the community forum. And we've actually had him on the podcast, so you can go uh, in the footer of the website. You can search for uh, Jesse, and that episode will come up. At Speedbird203, he loves trolls. Loves trolls. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark, what's going on in the Infinite Flight pilot community this week? Um, you know what, man? I, I have seen uh, um, an in- increase uh, of people that are flying. Like, for example, in the fighters, you know, we, we have our speed, uh, speed regulations and rules uh, on the expert server. And I myself have ghosted several, probably more in the past couple of weeks than I did in the last three or four months of 2016, just you know, flying 11, 1200 knots at 10, 15,000 feet. I mean, come on guys. Yeah. You know what I think might, that might be attributed to in, to some degree is, um, new users who don't, you know, they've never, they've never seen the forum posts before warning against that. And there's really no... Well, here's, here's think, my question. You would though. think that. You would think that. But when you pull up their account, well, when I pull up their account, and you know, and of course I screenshot everything, and they've got four hundred thousand XP. Oh well, okay. There goes or that idea. Or two or three hundred. Yeah. If but here's my got, question. You know, do they have? Thousand, yeah. <clears throat> do they have the? Isn't there like a a barber pole and a shaker stick and a not audio? On the fighter. Not in the fighter. Okay. Yeah. Right. Not on the fighter. Well, that explains that. Yeah, hmm. but still, it's been around long enough, and these are people that are in the community on the forum. So interesting. Yeah, I may have to repin that. Just well, just it's as good a that reminder. yeah, probably a good idea, and uh, it's good that we're talking about it here. So maybe we can catch a few other um, yeah. people just by way of listening to the podcast. Uh, any interesting video tutorials coming out for pilots? Um. You know, I'm getting a lot of requests, which is good. Um, of course, uh, you know, I did the uh, the graphic uh, last year sometime, actually uh, probably a couple of years ago, uh, where people were asking, uh, they wanted the HUD to be explained, you know, what each thing means. And, of course, I have a graphic for that, but I'm probably going to do just a short tutorial and break it down oh, uh, on what it means. Um, so, and I'll probably update that a little bit. Um you know, but you know, a couple of the ones that I have lined up is like understanding uh, what give way means when you know ground tells you to give way to aircraft to your left, right, ahead, you know, whatever. What that actually means. Okay. Uh, how to calculate your descent? Because uh, apparently, people who call inbound ten miles out from the field and are at forty thousand feet 
but they're coming inbound for landing in an A380, <clears throat> have not properly calculated their descent. Yeah, I saw a post uh, about that. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, things like ground speed versus knots indicated, you know, airspeed, you know, just, you know, things that are very, you know, knowledgeable and to help people to have a better understanding of what everything means. Okay. You know, both within the sim, but also within real world okay. applications. So. And uh, Tyler is going to be starting up his ATC tutorials again um, in the coming weeks, so we're told. Uh, so you guys mm-hmm. can look out for that uh, at uh, youtube.com slash infinite flight app. And uh, I'm thinking about doing one for Tyler on fog, <laughs> yeah. understanding, you know, the fog different types of fog. Like mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's right. A good idea. So yeah. <laughs> there's an inside joke there for anyone who's just tuning in and doesn't know what we're talking about. But uh, we'll explain that one later when Tyler's here to defend himself. Um, <laughs> the uh, latest video that you posted, the assault takeoff and landing in the C-130 is the bomb. So anyone who hasn't seen that one, go and definitely check that out on the YouTube channel. Yeah, that that's a uh, that's a lot of fun. And just for you know, people have asked me, you know, where did you get the numbers from as far as the speeds and stuff like that? And um, of course, I have a lot of access to C one thirty people uh, with my father being in the Coast Guard on C one thirties, and so you know, I've gotten to get a lot of information. Um, but actually, came across. Um, a Blue Angels uh, video. Laura actually sent it to me uh, when we were trying to figure out the physics of it, how to properly, you know, get the weight and the the uh, the friction and all that in the air. Since we don't, we can't feather props and all that in the aircraft right now. Um, and in this video for the Blue Angels, it actually you hear all of the callouts from the flight engineer. Oh, cool. Yeah. So. Um, that's what I'm really basing it on along with the information that I've received from a lot of the flight engineers, uh, that I know a couple of the other pilots. Now what's, what's cool is Tyler met someone, uh, that he was speaking of in the last, uh, the last flight cast where they do things a little bit differently and each branch of service, you know, anywhere from the coast guard to the air force, to the Navy, so on and so forth actually do assault landings a little bit differently. So, you know, it's pretty interesting to hear how the other branches, you know, they do their, you know, their speeds, um, how the Coast Guard does theirs, how the Air Force does theirs, how the Navy does theirs, even the Marines. Hmm. So, but yeah, what I, the ones that I put into the video are strictly based off of the um, information that I received regarding fat Albert, which is why I used fat Albert in the uh, video, uh, and the call outs in the video. Okay. So nice. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Boeing triple seven X from the forum is asking how the development of the DC 10 and MD 11 are going. Got anything for us there? Uh, they're going, um, there's a lot uh-huh. of work that's having to go into that. Um, you know, nothing that I can really share right now, but, um, all right, but it's going, you know, it, it, it's going uh, daily. Uh, everybody's working hard on everything, so it's we, we still have a long ways to go, though. But people are going to be extremely happy. All right, awesome. Well, man, should we uh, introduce our guest today? I mean, yeah. I mean, he did take some time out to to join us today, so I mean, why not? He's literally just standing by, so let's do that. 
Duncan Gillespie is a Dash 8 Q400 pilot for Sky Regional here in Canada, and before that, he held positions with Porter Airlines on the Q400 and Cameron Air in the Cessna 208 and 206. Today, he's joining us from his home in Toronto, Ontario. Duncan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for being here. It's going great. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. Another Cessna pilot. That's what I'm talking about. See, I've waited a long time for this. (laughs) And here's... Here's, I'll tell you the secret with Cessna pilots. If you've flown a 172 or a 150, you've flown a caravan as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very similar. Yeah, it just feels like a big big 172. Now, see, for me, I've never flown in a 150 or a 152. It's a go-kart with wings, in my opinion. Um, and when your call sign is Skyhawk Heavy, which I was actually given that by <laughs> ATC here in Mobile, um. And when you get in the 152 and one butt cheek is in the left seat and the other butt cheeks in the right seat and there's nowhere for the CFI to sit, I didn't fly it. When so the, I did all my training in the 172. When the stall horn sounds on the, on the ramp, it's probably yeah, not a I'm good idea to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. I had the opposite problem. I'm uh, I'm six seven, so when I got in, my knees were in my ears, and I said, "No, I don't want to spend two hundred hours in here doing flight training." See, I'm six five. There you so, go. You know, yeah. you know the struggle. Uh, it's funny because my my CFI uh, when I started working on my instrument, um, my CFI was like five four, five three. I mean, he could play racquetball in a shoebox, and so we get into the plane. Uh, when I started working uh, on my instrument rating and, you know, you scoot the seat all the way back to get into the plane. And then of course, you know, you move it up to get adjusted and get set. Well, he slides all the way up. The yoke is basically right in his gut. I'm still sitting in the back seat of the 172 <laughs> with the seat all the way back. And I'm just as comfortable <laughs> as I can be. Uh, that's great. Yep. I'll see you when we land. All right, well, Duncan, let's uh, get into some of the questions we've got for you here. Um, we'd, we'd love to start from the beginning with our real-world pilots, so why don't you take us back to how you came interested in aviation and uh, what got you into flying? Yeah, I think uh, I had a pretty typical story. Uh, growing up, I always liked airplanes. Um, I overheard you talking to uh, Mark's about Mark's son. He's always looking up when something uh, flies over. And, uh, you know, I always played the video games that had planes in them. When I was 16, my parents took me out to the local airport and uh, just wanted to see if I wanted to go for a ride. And uh, I came back down. I gave him a big thumbs up with a big smile. And uh, I think that was about it. From then on, I just continued doing all my flight training. And uh, that's what got me into it. Okay, so you earlier on before the interview started, you were mentioning that you're from Barrie, which is about an hour and 10 minutes from where I'm sitting right now. And so did you, is that where you got your flight training? It is, yeah. I uh, I kind of did mine all over. Um, so I started in Barrie uh, when I went to university uh, in Hamilton. I did some out of the Hamilton Air National Airport um, and then a smaller airport, uh, Burlington Air Park. Uh, and then I finished up at Toronto Island where uh, I work today. So my uh, my flight training kind of followed me around with uh, however my, my life was at the time. Okay. Very cool. Hey, guys, for what it's worth, would you say, Jason, you're like an hour and 10 minutes? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool because, yeah, it's, uh, it's only about 1,650 miles from me and, you know, a day and two hours. You know, I just wanted to be 
part of that conversation. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, did you do any flying out of Edenvale by any chance? Uh, I didn't. Um, when I was doing most of my training up there, uh, it was uh, a decommissioned. Uh, I think it used to be an old airbase or training spot. Yeah. And uh, all I knew it as was the uh, place where people went out for their RC planes and flew them around. So. Okay. Uh, you never uh, flew over that. Yeah, so we uh yeah, it did used to be a, a air base and so it's in that typical sort of A shape, you know, with the um with the runways. Yeah. And um so I just flew in there uh this past summer with a buddy of mine who um owns the Murphy Rebel. And he said he was going flying. Can I meet him? I said, "Sure, I'll be there." And when we got there, he's like, well, what do you want to do? We can fly some patterns. We can do some uh, maneuvering or we can fly over to Edenvale for lunch. It's like, well, I don't know where that is, but sure, that sounds good. (laughs) So we flew over there and yeah, the guy that owns it right now is um, he's sunk a ton of money into it. There's a a couple new hangars and uh, lots of ultralight stuff going on too. I was going to say it's, uh, yeah, it looks like an airport that's come a long way and it's uh, a neat little spot for the weekenders for sure. Yeah. If you, the diner's great too, if you, uh, fancy going over there for some lunch i would recommend it uh all right so you did a lot of your training you mentioned a few spots around ontario and then um what got you did you do any you you flew for cameron but before that did you do any like bush flying or float flying uh, for anyone else Uh, yeah i didn't um i got really lucky with uh with my story to be honest i uh i moved to toronto after university needed a job so i got a job with the uh porter fbo um, just fueling aircraft and uh, moving them around the ramp and doing that sort of typical ramp job. Uh, met the guys through Cameron Air who were working there at the time. Uh, they put the good word in for me, and uh, I got hired on as a dispatcher for the uh, following summer. During that time, I, I finished uh, I finished all my uh, float ratings and my multi-IFR, my commercial license, all that stuff, um, and then transitioned into a flying role on the uh, 206 the, the summer after that. So did you get all of those ratings on floats or on wheels? Uh, most of it's on wheels, other than obviously the uh, the float rating was on uh, straight floats on a 172. Okay. Um, but everything up until my uh, my time at Cameron Air was all wheels. So uh, like I said, I, I felt pretty lucky. I, it came down to, a, you know, it's a who you know, not what's you know kind of situation. Yeah. And yeah, and it, it, it was great. And so I, uh, I kind of learned on the job and learned from the guys that had been there for the summer while I was dispatching. You get a few hours of flying uh, in the right seat, kind of learning and getting ready for the uh, the next summer. And as long as all that goes well, then uh, yeah, you'll you'll start getting the job on the 206. Okay. Now we've, we've talked a lot about ATC um, here on Flightcast because we have live ATC in Infinite Flight, but um, what, when you say dispatching, can you describe that? What does that mean? Uh, yeah. So dispatching is more just the, uh, you know, doing things like uh, flight planning. Um, the role at Cameron Air isn't your typical dispatching uh, job. It's mostly answering phones, emails, uh, doing scheduling, um, every once in a while, you know, you'll have to go down to the ramp. Um, so I guess I use the term dispatching kind of loosely from the, uh, the typical term. Um, you most some people, admin work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All that kind of stuff to, to just kind of like learn the business, um, which makes your, once you start flying a lot easier, you know, you, you kind of already know where the clients are. You kind of have an idea of what the, 
the lakes are like and you know the hazards of each each spot um kind of before you get there okay um when you're talking dispatch for a typical thing you know like an airline uh, now you're talking people who have gone to school for this have a professional license um they do all the flight planning they do the weather planning they put our briefing packages together and uh you know they do a lot of that groundwork that in smaller companies is done by the pilot um there's just not time for us to do all of that uh in a busy airline setting and okay. so that's taken care of by our dispatch department okay and with cameron air did you fly to uh the perry sound area at all i know we've got some people that fly in literally for a round of golf from toronto at uh, the ridge at manitou or um you know some of the golf courses around here is that anything that uh, you would do for us yeah, I uh, I was in Perry Sound very often. I'm very familiar with the airport. Um, our about halfway through my career at Cameron Air, um, our maintenance department moved to the Perry Sound Airport. Oh, um, okay. So whenever maintenance like longer, kind of longer stuff, if it was just you know longer checks or if we were up there and needed uh, needed kind of I don't want to say emergency ma- maintenance, but lack of better term, um, something done quickly, then we'd fly over to the uh, the Perry Sound Airport and get that done. Uh, in there often for fuel. Um, I like the restaurant there. They had ice cream. So that was another yeah. good reason to stop by. <laughs> uh, so between there and the, uh, the Muskoka airport, we, uh, we spent a lot of time there for, uh, for the Cameron air. Awesome. It sounds like our paths have crossed maybe a, a tad late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll make I'm a trip sure. down to the city and we can, uh, grab a drink or something. I'm still, still good buddies with the guys at Cameron air. So I'm sure I can let you know when they're there in the summer and you can go say hi. Yeah, definitely. I'd love that. All right. So uh, is the is the Q your first turboprop type rating or how did that sort of come about with uh, Porter? Uh, it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I flew the caravan and it was a turboprop. So I was familiar with, uh, with you know, the, uh, the ins and outs of a, a turbine engine in a little bit and kind of how that kind of stuff works. Um but by no means is the Q400 a caravan. It's uh, probably more akin to uh, to a jet in many senses. Uh, it's it's pretty fast. It's way overpowered. Um, so it is a it's a very nice plane to fly for uh, in in that sense. Um, but in many ways, you can still fly it like a turboprop. Uh, you can get it slowed down. It goes very quickly, but you can slow it down really quickly if you needed to. In a lot of sense. So uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it, like I said, it's uh, not your typical turboprop, that's for sure. Okay. The uh, Q400, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is one of the few turboprops uh, around with uh, with an APU, correct? Uh, we do have an APU. Yeah, to be honest, I'm not too familiar with the uh, the other ones. Kind of like, send me some of the bigger ones, in a, like the ATRs. They may kind of have that sort of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, certainly anything smaller than, uh, than a Q or a Dash 8 isn't isn't really going to need one. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we had, um, a triple seven, our triple seven pilot friend Melvin on, and he flew the ATRs and he said they, they were always a little jealous of the Q 400 pilots cause they had the APU. So when they were, yeah. in, you know, on hot ramps, it came in handy. Yeah. yeah. It's really, it's nice for, uh, the weather. It's also nice. It gives you a little bit of, uh, operational flexibility, um, depending on where you're going. Um, you know, if there's no ground power units or there's no gates and things like that, it can be pretty tough on the batteries to be running off them and doing starts off them often. Um, so we have the luxury of being able to start the APU and start it off the power from that. So it's uh, it's certainly a nice feature. 
Okay. Yeah. So being a pilot for a regional carrier, carrier, what uh, kinds of flights are typical for you? You know, how long are you usually away from home? Where are you going? Stuff like that. Uh, for me, I, I've been pretty lucky. Uh, our company is only doing uh, two and three day pairings at this point. Um, on the Q400, there's two day pairings. On the uh, Embraer 175, uh, it goes up to three day pairings. Um, I've heard other people. I have some friends in other companies that'll do almost up to six day pairings. Um, And what I guess I mean by by pairing is, you know, if it's six days, you'll show up to work on day one and uh, you won't go back to your home. You'll be, you know, you may operate back to Toronto, but you'll be sleeping somewhere else. So you can be gone from home for up to uh, up to six days Hmm. Um, and usually anywhere from two to uh, five legs in a day or flights. And uh, that's, pretty typical of most uh most regional kind of flying uh it's a lot you know shorter flights an hour two hours and uh you know a lot of cycles okay and do any of your flights take you into the u.s and if so um do you find any differences in procedure that you have to really consciously observe while you're flying across the border uh yeah there are definitely some differences between canada and the u.s um I currently am just with the Q400. We don't go into the U.S. Uh, with Porter Airlines. Uh, I did. Um, a big there's some operational differences as far as uh, approach band minima um, and what numbers you're allowed to use there. Uh, the U.S. has a different system for measuring friction index, um, which is essentially when the runway has uh, water, snow, ice, any of that. Um, we have what's called a Canadian friction index, which is a number. Uh, in the U.S., it's mostly just braking action, so they'll just tell you it's good, it's poor, it's moderate, and uh, and that's kind of all the information that you get. Um, so those are probably the ones that stand out the most uh, to me. As far as ATC and, and, and the way you operate it, it is very similar. Um, you get the same kind of clearances, you get the same kind of uh, support systems down there. Um, yeah, that's a big one. Okay. Yeah, I've noticed, um, I was listening to uh, Live ATC for Pearson at one point, and I noticed that in Canada, at least at Pearson, they were giving conditional clearances. So, you know, once this happens, do this, which uh, in the States, that, that to me is a pretty big difference because in the States, they don't do that at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and then the other, the other thing, um, now when you were talking about like the uh, the friction reports and all that, uh, for the runway in comparison to Canada and the U.S., yeah, you know, it, I'm assuming a lot of that would be based off of pie reps uh, that they're receiving, or uh, it, it's based actually. There's a system um, that's normally hooked up to uh, to one of the ground vehicles, so maybe like an airport truck or a, like a pickup. And the way they measure it is often they they get up to a certain speed, and then you just slam on the brakes, and you see how far the truck slides. Um, and essentially the system that's attached to the truck will measure that and spit out a number and it'll tell you essentially how slippery it is. And then we can go to our charts in the aircraft and, uh, and compare that and get like a real landing number. Um, it's also comes into factor with crosswinds. So there's a recommended friction index based on the crosswind and how strong it is and anything lower than uh, then the recommended number, like say if it's you know a ten knot crosswind, 
you might have a limit of 0.5 on the friction index. Anything lower than that, that's not recommended that you would land on that because you, your plane might just get pushed off even if it's on the ground. Well, okay. Yeah, so it's a nice system because it does. It gives you hard numbers and real numbers to work with. Well, let's talk about the Q400 a little bit. Um, and before I get to the questions that I have here, it just dawned on me that um, we don't typically ask about simulator time, but where do you do? Where did you get your sim time for the Q400 around here? Uh, my sim has all been done at uh, Downsview Airport, where uh, Bombardier has a base at oh, okay. Flight Safety Canada. Um, some. I believe there's another one um, at CAE, which is also close to Pearson. Um, there must and, be some yeah. sims in Montreal, I would think, right? Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. Um, I'm pretty sure that they have their Global Express sims there because they build the, as far as I know, Bombardier builds the Global Express and Challenger series in uh, Montreal. Okay. And I believe the Q400 is built at Downsview, so I think that would be the uh, the reason for the sims being where they are. Gotcha. Um, but I, I'm sure there's it, there's other sims all over the world, depending on where uh, where the the need is. Okay. So what? Tell us what you love about uh, flying the Q400, and and what are some challenges that you've had to get used to. Well, certainly coming from the the float flying world, it it is very uh, you know there's a lot of hand flying and it's very hands on um, when you're doing that sort of thing. When I transitioned to the Q400, I was actually surprised at how hands on it actually is, um, especially operating out of the uh, Billy Bishop Airport in downtown uh, Toronto. Here, there's uh, you know a lot a lot of the larger, more sophisticated planes. The autopilot will go on at 200 feet. It comes off at a 200 feet. Um, and most, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and most of the other time you're uh, you're pretty much just managing the aircraft and its systems and telling it where to go with the autopilot. Um, we tip very often. We'll hand fly visual approaches places uh, if it makes operational sense. Um, at the island, uh, it's almost always hand flown. Um, starting from anywhere from five to ten miles back, we'll disengage the autopilot and fly the plane. That's awesome. Um, yeah, just because it's uh, it, it, there's a, a large smokestack that's on the approach um, that gives us a, a, a non-standard ILS. And so in visual conditions, to fly that can be somewhat challenging, and it's a little bit uncomfortable for passengers when we don't have to use it. So you're better off just hand-flying the aircraft. And uh, yeah, I think that's my favorite part about it is it is still does still feel like you're flying. It's, it's still very hands-on. So if you were um, to fly the ILS over that smokestack, it's just a steeper approach. Is that why it's uncomfortable? It is. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, it. I mean, it doesn't sound like much. It's a four point eight degree slope versus uh, your standard ILS is three degrees. Um, and you know what? The number doesn't sound that much, but when you're flying it, it's. Uh, it. It feels unnatural. That's for sure. Okay. Um, and uh, the autopilot's not certified for it, so all those are are hand flown. Um, so that's another fun thing about the queue and, uh, and operating out of, uh, the Island airport is, uh, you know, it's a very unique approach. There's very few airports in the world that have approaches, uh, that are, that are like that and that you have to hand fly all the way down to, uh, I think we have a minimum of 300 or 300 feet above the ground. So it's, wow. uh, it, it gets a pretty close at a, at a pretty, uh, pretty good angle. So yeah, and the, view, be, uh, the view is ridiculous. 
view is amazing. I love operating out of the island for that reason. Um, you, I mean, for passers and pilots, you're pretty much getting a scenic flight of downtown on every approach and departure. Yeah, it's great. So when you say just to, uh, I'm just going to dwell on this uh, smokestack approach here. Um, don't the prevailing winds usually take you in on? Is it zero eight? Uh, yeah, there is zero eight. Um, to be honest, the winds are usually out of the, uh, the West more often. And so the two six is probably, uh, the approach that we would do more often than not. Um, so it does, uh, it does become a factor often. Um, at Porter, we had, uh, we had a procedure that at night we would always fly that whether it was visual conditions or not. Um, and it just ensured uh, first of all, that you're proficient with flying the uh, steep approach into runway two six because you do it at night often, and if you can do it at night visually, then you can do it IFR or on the ILS in the bad weather. Okay. Um, and secondly, it just ensures clearance from the smokestack. You don't have to worry about you know about seeing it at night or or in that sort of conditions. You right. can just fly the ILS and you're insured you know separation from it. So. Okay. Very cool. That's pretty cool. That's. That's that's you said it was a four uh, four point eight degree. It is, yeah, uh, man. That, yeah, because that's uh, what is it, Jason? Uh, London City is five and a half, five or five. Yeah, and a half, it's I even think. steeper. I don't remember yeah, exactly. It's, it's a pretty good one too. Um, so yeah, so similar in the, in that uh, in that sense, and it is a restricted approach. I think there's, to be honest, the only companies I know are Porter Airlines, uh, Sky Regional, and uh, oddly enough, Cameron Air. Are the ones that are uh, that have the op spec to to fly that approach? Okay, awesome. I've got to make sure that I give that a whirl one at one point. We've got actually. Yeah, so do you, do you have to get signed off for that for those approaches. Yeah, so there's a there. Number one, the plane has to be certified. I believe the Q is the only one at the island that's certified for it. Uh, the company has to get an op spec, or a, it's essentially. Um, special permission to be able to fly a restricted approach. Um, and that comes from transport Canada and to meet that there's a whole host of requirements as far as, uh, training and recency and things like that, uh, to be able to, to fly it. My last sim day, um, is always dedicated to flying the abnormal procedures at the Island. So doing things like just normal visual approaches, doing this ILS steep approach, um, and then there's a, an RNAV approach for zero eight that's uh, that's restricted as well. Uh, okay, one little cool. side note here, Duncan, um, is it? Uh, are you allowed to uh, share op specs? Uh, in what sense? Can I see them? <laughs> oh uh, yeah, you know what? It's, it's uh, yeah. It, as far as I know, it's published. Okay. Um, it just there's a note on it that says this is a, a, a restricted approach. And if you don't meet these criteria, then you're not legally allowed to do it. Okay, I'll uh, tell you why I'm asking. That the, the um, yeah. our uh, what you might not realize is our sim, our sim, Infinite Flight has um, regions right now, so you can fly in the Chicago region or the New York region or whatever. And there's a, a fixed number of them. And they're preparing right now over the last couple of years to launch uh, global in the sim, so you can fly around the globe. Uh, it'll have cool. um, uh, what's it called? Mark Elnav. Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, and, uh, 
our airport editing friend Henrik Berg, who's one of the uh, forum moderators. Shout out to Henrik. He did. Uh, we have an airport editing team, and we've interviewed them before. And so they're they're creating airports like mad. They won't be creating all of the airports in the world, obviously, but they're doing tons of them. And they just Henrik did last year did uh, Pearson International in Toronto and uh, Billy Bishop. And I think he and he did my local field here in Perry Sound as well. So, cool. uh, yeah, so we'll be able to. That's why I'm asking about the op specs for that approach, because uh, they may not realize yet that that runway has uh, a different ILS. Yeah, uh, cool. yeah, you're, uh, it, it's uh, it should be published in uh, it's somewhere. It probably won't be published in the standard places, but you can probably download it online. Okay. Um, from the- yeah, I was going to ask if you knew of any uh, websites that you can, you know, get uh, approach plates for or anything like that. Uh, there's there's a couple that, you know, of course I have access uh, through AOPA where I can I can download you know approach plates, airport diagrams, whatever I need. Um, but there's also several websites that you can go to that will offer, um, you know, offer the charts or the plates that you need. Um, you just can't really use those for accuracy. Exactly. Um, okay. Awesome. Well, I, I might hit you up about that after if, uh, we can't f- find it for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll take a look and, uh, we'll get it to you for sure. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, as we mentioned before we started the, uh, podcast, we've had a Flybe Q400 pilot on the show before, our John, and, uh, it would be cool to hear from you as well just on some of the technical questions so if you're up for it i'm gonna get some details from you yeah of course so uh how often would you guys use the uh uh, set the flaps to 35 degrees in the dash eight do you ever yeah we uh at uh, sky regional we always fly flap 35 landings um it's a uh i guess there's a few reasons for it. Uh, the first one is obviously, you know, the plane was originally designed to land with flap 35. Um, you're obviously going to have slower ref speeds, which equals slower ground speeds at touchdown. So you're going to stop in, in less of a distance. Um, so those are some of the obvious operational ones. Um, flap 35 also gives you a little bit more room, um, with regards to tail strikes, uh, at flat 35, you're usually touching down like maybe level, if not one degree, like above the horizon nose up. Um, at flat 15, if you're at ref speed, you're already five degrees nose up. Um, and the tail usually, I think, will hit the ground around seven or eight degrees. Oh, well. Wow. So you're not giving yourself a lot of room with flat 15. Okay. Um, the difference is flat 35, again, is a little bit less comfortable for passengers. Uh, when you get to flap 35, the plane tends to do a lot of shuddering. Uh, the wind noise is a lot more, uh, the deck angle seems kind of steep. Um, so from a passenger point of view and passenger comfort, flap 15 is, is nice for that. Um, if you do are doing landing at flap 15, you just have to be aware. Uh, there's a lot more pitch awareness, um, when it comes to that. And there's just a little bit different technique when you're landing with flap 15. So. So both what, are perfectly acceptable and perfectly safe. It's just you have to be aware of what you're doing. Okay, so that might p- actually um, play into um, my third question, which was going to be: Do you add power just prior to touching down? Because uh, our Flybe pilot uh, said that they actually add power when they're touching down, but he was also doing flap 15 landings. 
Yeah, at flat 15, I almost always landed uh, by adding a little bit of power. Um, I found I flew with flat 15 landings. If I flew our ref speed, which is our approach speed, if I flew it 10 knots faster, um, then you could fly it a little bit more nose down and you didn't really have to add as much power. Um, I guess the big difference with this plane when you're landing at flat 15 is you know, with the Cessnas, you usually try to hold the plane off and hold it off and hold off, and you get pretty high nose angles, but that's how you can get some nice soft landings. And before the stall horn goes off. Yeah, exactly. And if you find, you know, if you've flared a little bit too high or you're trying to correct it, usually you can do it with pitch. And so you'll just pitch up a little bit. Uh, with the Q400, because the tail is so much longer and, uh, you know, than the originally designed Dash 8s, um, you don't really have that luxury. And so when you find yourself in that situation, instead of pulling up to stop to arrest your descent rate, usually you just add power. So it's a, it took a little bit of getting used to um, because, like I said, I was always used to flying a caravan where if you wanted to arrest your descent rate, you just pulled up. But that can get you in a lot of trouble in the Q400. Okay, awesome. Well, damn, I guess I need to redo the, uh, do another tutorial with Flaps 35 then. There you go. <laughs> make work for mark just it'll give you it just gives you a little bit of a little bit of leeway with the with the tail you never you know you never even really come all that close with flap 35 whereas flap 15 you are making pitch awareness calls fairly regularly yeah the um uh, you know a lot of the one when i did the uh dash eight the q400 tutorial um for our community you know i based a lot of the information off of our previous um our previous guest who is the Q400 for Flyby. And, um, and that's how I'm used to flying it now. Now I've got to go out and try with the 35 degrees. I've never used 35 degrees. Oh yeah. 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 uh, yeah, You know what it, it it is. It's, it's nice there. I I honestly don't believe that one way is better than the other. I think you just have to, you you just pick what what works operationally. Like often when uh, when I had the choice between flat fifteen and flat thirty five, um, it just kind of I just picked whatever made the most amount of sense. If there was a taxiway that I wanted to get off of that was closer to the end of the runway, that would you know help us get to our gate faster or something, then I'd pick flat thirty five for that landing. Uh, if you're landing in a place like Newark or Montreal where you have tons and tons of runway. There's tons of high speed exits. It doesn't really matter where you get off. Then flap 35 is a lot more comfortable for the passengers. And then you can, you know, that can help them out a little bit at that point. Yeah. Cause you know, like in the 172, the only time you really use flaps is on a short field, soft field, takeoff landing, uh, slow flight. Um, but other than that, uh, yeah. you know, when you're landing on a, on a field that's got a five or 6,000 foot runway, well, who needs flaps? Yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so Duncan, is this, is this, uh, this was obviously an awesome career move for you going to the queue. Do you see this as a stepping stone to, uh, going mainline, uh, on a jet of some kind? Do you have aspirations of becoming a Q400 captain? What's the next move? Do you think? Uh, well, they, they're actually, uh, my company's retiring these aircraft and another one's going to be taking over the run, uh, out of Billy Bishop. Um, and I'm transitioning to the, uh, Embraer 175 in March. Um, so yes, oh, it's nice. very so, good stepping. <laughs> so, so wait a sec. They're, they're going to be operating the Embraer 175 out of Billy Bishop. Uh, no, it'll be out of Pearson. Oh, okay. yeah. There's, okay. 
still a restriction on jets out of uh, the Billy Bishop Airport. Just it's it's been in standing forever. It's politics, um, right? I know. Yeah, exactly. There's talk of trying to make that switch, but uh, you know, as far as I know, uh, the little bit that I know, it's uh, it's not in the cards right now. Okay, and they had they have to. is such a sweet plane, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, everything that I've been told um, is it's half the plane that the Q400 is. Um, so that's kind of nice. It'll be you know it's it's easier to manage. There's a few different systems on it, things like that. Um, but like I said, I, I really enjoy the Q400 because of its uh, you know it is hands on. It still feels like a real plane, and and uh, you know and that's that's something nice about it. I, I do have one quick question, um, Jason. I don't know if you were going to ask it, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Um, one question that I, I do have as far as for takeoffs. Um, typical, let's say, max landing weight, just on average, using an average weight. I know there's several factors that go into play here, but, you know, flap settings, generally what, five degrees? Um, and I know runway length and all that still goes into play, but uh, typically... I do five degrees uh, in the sim, and then I might throttle anywhere from 92, maybe 94%, sometimes even 90%, because uh, it's it's like a rocket. So I uh, just wanted to kind of get your take uh, on what your experience is with uh, with an average number for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so from the island uh, at gross weight, uh, you're almost always flat five. Um, and in a hot summer day, you're probably normal takeoff power, which is 90%. Um, and that's, yeah, that's usually pretty typical. Maybe in the wintertime, you might get that down to maybe an 85, 87%. Um, if you're at full weight, if you're really light, um, I've had flap settings of five degrees and, uh, and 81% torque, uh, setting, for takeoff out of the island. Um, when you're talking longer runways, it's almost always seems to be uh, a five degree flap setting and 81%, even at gross weight, just because you have such so much more runway than, than the right. aircraft needs that, uh, yeah, it, 81% is usually it's the lowest, um, that you'll usually see. Um, right. and normal takeoff power is, uh, is 90%. Um, anything, if we needed to use more than that, um, if it's a, you know, a really, really hot day and you're off the Island because it's only 4,000 feet, um, or Skyhawk heavies on the plane. Yeah, exactly. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah. Then sometimes you get max, then sometimes you get max takeoff power, which is 100%. Um, we try not to use that because it counts as two cycles. Uh, I think actually one and a half cycles on the engines. Wow. Whereas if you just use normal takeoff power, it only counts as one. Um, so, you know, just operationally to be nice to the plane, you try not to use max anything more yeah. than uh, 90% normally or less. So, you know what? I don't even think you can set anything. It's either 100% or 90, and then it goes to 87, 85, 83, 81. Those are the only setting options that we have. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So, yeah, because normally whenever I take off, Jason, I, I, you know, Tyler and I do this a lot. I'm sure you do some as well. But uh, regardless of whatever aircraft I'm flying within the sim, um, you know, for me being a pilot, you know, number one, I'm going to use as much runway as possible. Um, 
you know, I always taxi as far to the end as I possibly can. I hate intersection takeoffs, but two, I always try to take off with max takeoff weight. Um, and then once I get up to cruise, you know, then I'll set it to max landing weight and, you know, make those adjustments and stuff like that. So, you know, I just to hear your numbers helps out a lot. So I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I guess the difference is, you know, at some point the, uh, the dollar comes into play and if you can, you know, if you don't need to use that max takeoff power and you can save your engines a little bit, then, you know, you're going to get more life out of them. That saves the company money and it's still operationally safe. Cool. Are yeah. you allowed yeah. to share what, uh, uh, Sky Regional's doing with, uh, the, what aircraft is going to be? Uh, we'll be flying out of the island, you mean? Yeah. Uh, actually a different company, so it will be taking over. Oh, okay. Um, I believe Jazz Aviation. Okay. So they'll still... So they'll still be flying Q400s from the island. So, uh, you know, as far as the general public knows, um, it won't be any different. It's still Air Canada branded aircraft. Um, it's just there'll be a small sign on it that says operated by Jazz instead of operated by Sky Regional. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And we're we're transitioning to an all-jet fleet, all Embraer 175s. Nice. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It'd be nice to go further too. Yeah, definitely. Well, and like I said uh, before, we started the uh, interview by email. Uh, whenever you've got a jump seat open, just uh, text me. I'll be there. Yeah, give me like <laughs> give me like two and a half hours notice, and I'm there. <laughs> you might want to check the company policy on allowing unaccompanied minors in the cockpit though before you open up the jump seat for Jason. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, I have to read that one first. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm five foot seven, so Mark and I standing beside each other is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's good because uh, I don't know what the jump seat in the Embraer is like, but the jump seat in the Q400 it only fits about people your size. <laughs> there you go, perfect. It's made for me. I'll be there whenever yeah, you need me. House, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, I've flown jump seat in the Saab 340 several times, uh, the CRJ 200, the DC9, and the Saab was by far the worst. Yeah. By far. Well, that's just yeah, a, regional, just a smaller turboprop, right? <laughs> yeah, very small turboprop. Yeah. Mark, have you heard of Live Flight for Infinite Flight? Yeah, man. I've used it to track flights and to see which regions and airports are busy before, you know, planning my flight. Right. Well, as you probably know, a new version of Live Flight is now available at liveflightapp.com. This new version is better than ever and has been rebuilt from the ground up. With a new design, more flight stats, a search feature, and airport information, tracking and planning your flight is easier than ever. Oh, man, I know. And now with the new downloadable KML files, you can download your flight data to any Earth browser, such as Google Earth. It's so cool. Absolutely. And if that wasn't enough, you can now subscribe to Live Flight Horizon, a new service for only $1.99 a month that provides real-time, worldwide airport information such as weather, runway data, and charts. It also allows you to search for flights, active ATC frequencies, and airports. And as a Live Flight Horizon subscriber, you'll also get much longer online sessions, and you'll be helping Cam to keep developing and improving this great app. So guys, make sure you head over to liveflightapp.com to give it a try, and also subscribe to Live Flight Horizon. It will make your infinite flight experience so much better. Live Flight is now available in the App Store for iOS. And now, back to the podcast. All right, guys. Well, let's get to some community forum questions. We had tons of them, literally hundreds, uh, which we usually do for our 
real life pilot series. So, um, you guys, thanks for sending in all your questions. I'm going to ask some of them. Obviously, we can't get to all of them. Maybe I can entice uh, Duncan to head over to the forum and answer some more. But um, in the meantime, uh, I should give a shout out to David, who uh, did ask about you possibly moving forward to main line Air Canada. Um, and on piggybacking on that question, we did have uh, one of our pilots, one of our regional pilots was saying that, um, you know, working for, uh, who did Melvin work for? Um, American Chicken, uh, American yeah, Eagle. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, so if you're working for American Chicken, then you can bump easily up to Mainline. Uh, uh, so is that the case for you? It is, yeah. Most of uh, the Air Canada Express carriers um, have a pilot mobility program, um, which is essentially, you know, that it's it's there is some flow through from uh, from the smaller carriers up into uh, into mainline. Okay, cool. All right, and so uh, Ben is asking, what's your favorite approach in the Dash Eight that you've made, and why? Uh, well, I mean, obviously the island's going to be uh, is going to be a, a big favorite of mine. Um, I might be a little biased because I've pretty much spent my whole career down here, yeah. but uh, but yeah, I mean that one's obviously great. Um, the uh, approach, I believe, it's uh, runway three three at uh, Midway, brings you over downtown, um, right over downtown, and it's uh, it's a really cool view. Uh, I did the. Uh, there's an RNAV approach there that uh, we did at night, and it was awesome. Cool, great view of the city. I, I'm a, I really like Chicago, so it was uh, it was really neat. Um, and then another one stands out is uh, at Newark. There's uh, there's an I forget the number of the runway now, but it's essentially it's called the Stadium Visual. Um, it's a published procedure that's uh, you can look up again in those JEP charts that uh, I'm sure somewhere we'll find a, a big list of. of Jefferson charts and we'll be able to take a look at them. Um, but that one's really neat. Essentially, uh, they just tell you, Hey, do you see the, uh, I believe it's the MetLife stadium, um, in, uh, in New Jersey. And when you tell them that you can see that you just follow points from there to uh, a bridge to another bridge and you turn final, um, somewhere around, uh, four or 500 feet above the ground over top of this bridge um, and they've got everything from dash eights and King airs flying that to triple sevens and the big Airbuses. Wow. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty, pretty cool approach. Not often you get to, you know, maneuver below 500 feet landing in, uh, in an airline environment. So, uh, and it gets you a little closer to downtown in Manhattan. So again, the view is, uh, the view is pretty cool too. Nice. That's the Billy Bishop. No, that no. one is in Newark. The stadium oh, okay. in Newark, yeah, it's uh, it's landing. I forget what runway. There's one at the uh, at the north end, uh, maybe like two four or two three or something, and it's uh, landing westbound. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool approach. It's pretty neat. All right, Mark, we're trying. Yeah, I was it. just looking at. Yeah, we definitely are because I, I was just looking at some of your uh, your pictures on Instagram. Um, there's like there's one that you got an approach going into Billy Bishop that looks really nice. It's a night picture which i love but yeah. uh, well and i'm glad yeah. you brought that up mark um guys if you are on instagram definitely make sure that you're following uh, us which is uh, at flightcast audio definitely um check out mark at skyhawk heavy and you can find duncan at airline flying toronto i think isn't that right 
That's the one, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Used to be uh, Float Flying Toronto or something like that. It was. And that's yeah, how I found that's, you. And all that stuff is, uh, all the old photos are still kind of there, but uh, this seemed a little bit more appropriate for the uh, current position. Yeah, yep. definitely. I when you, when you first changed it over and you said something like, this is my new ride or whatever, and I was like, oh... I had to talk to that guy. <laughs> I wonder if he'll talk to me. It's awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so Tranquil Skyflyer is on from the forum is asking, what is the Q400 like in winter conditions? And you must have some, you must have some pretty intense crosswinds coming in over the lake. Yeah. Um, I, again, a unique part of the Island airport being so close to downtown. Uh, if you get a strong North wind, it's, uh, there is a lot of turbulence and it can make for some uh, pretty interesting approaches. That's for sure. Um, you know, winter months, you can get those really strong sustained North wind days. Um, and yeah, it definitely gets your, uh, definitely gets your full attention. We always like to joke that, uh, you know, there's the young street gust and then there's the Spadina gust yeah. and then there's the, gust. well, if they're just like little tunnels going all the way from North it, to South, right? Exactly. Yeah. The streets are very long and straight and the buildings are, uh, pretty much make like exactly like a wind tunnel. And it's, uh, it's very noticeable cause you are, you know, you're only landing half a mile south of the, uh, of the, the shoreline. So when the wind comes out of those, those funneled areas, it's, uh, it's, it's even going even faster than what it is on the ground. So yeah, yeah it could be, uh, it could be kind of neat. Um, as far as what's the key- that called the Bertulli um, effect. Oh, yeah. the Bertulli. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah, it speeds up and it goes through shorter or thinner areas. Yeah. I think, think I, that we're learning that in science class. I'm just trying to sound like a learned man. That's it. Exactly. Hey, you know what? That, that, that came up a lot in float flying too. You know, if you're landing between two islands and stuff, you you remember that that might happen. So it's good. It's good stuff to know. That's for sure. It does. It does have real world application, despite what your high school teacher tells you. <laughs> That's you something I hope to get. Uh, that's something that I hope to do in the near future, um, is to get uh, my float plane endorsement for sure. Well, Mark- yeah, I, I, I'd recommend it to anybody. It's uh, it's a ton of fun. It opens up the world uh, like you'd never imagine. Um, you know, now every lake is a runway, and uh, and it really does get your your aviation mind going. Um, you know, there's no, there's not really numbers for a lot of things. It's just you know, there's where you need to to go you know, some approach speeds and things like that, but you just got to, you know, use your, use your smarts and use your head and get the job done. Yeah. It's cool. definitely something that I want to do. Uh, real quick. We've got a couple more questions. Uh, Moritz wants to know, uh, what's the reason for the dash eights, uh, spoilers being extended during taxi. And I seem to remember that maybe this isn't even the case with the Q400, but it definitely is with the 100 and the 200 the earlier models. Is that, something that you do to taxi with spoilers deployed yeah it's on the q400 as well um pretty much anything that's going to be on the classic dash h is going to be on the q400 as well um they are a common type rating um and it was designed for that reason um essentially the reason for it there's a there's a switch in the cockpit that tells the spoilers whether they're in ground mode or whether they're in flight mode um so obviously while we're in the ground uh it's in ground mode um, and it's like, uh, it, you know, the spoilers are used for the same reason they are in, in any aircraft. When we land, they deploy and help to kill the lift and help us stop a little bit quicker. Um, so 
it's as far as I know, the logic is just when it's on the ground, they go up, and when it's not on the ground, they go or when and the power levers are uh, are far enough forward, then they they retract. Um, yeah, that's that's the the main the that's the main reason. Okay, and you it's a well, it's just a simpler system, right? Than than the than most jets with uh, they have flight spoilers and things like that, which you don't have on the dash eight. So. Um, it's either, you know, you're on the ground or you're not on the ground. And if you're on the ground, you've got spoilers. That's it. Yeah. Okay, cool. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, what was it? There was a, it might've been a Embraer or something that, uh, touched down in Toronto maybe eight or 10 years ago where the landing gear collapsed. And, uh, I think the, the pilot was trying to salvage a botched, landing and instead of going around he decided to try landing in any way landed super hard but the he bounced first and when he bounced some of the spoilers deployed um right. because you know certain number of criteria had been hit uh and one of those was that he had moved the thrust levers to idle if he hadn't yeah. done that then it would have been avoided because you know the airplane would have said um we haven't hit all the criteria yet for landing spoilers so i guess it's just just a simpler system on the dash eight is that really what it boils down to yeah it it does seem that way um you'll notice like they will be up and then uh as soon as the power levers are brought um like out of flight idle you'll see them retract as soon as we start our takeoff roll so we'll be sitting at the end of the runway they'll be up and you'll notice you'll see them as and when they go down all that means is that the pilots have brought it out of flight idle so it's like you were saying that that okay one of the it knows okay they want to go flying it's not an idle anymore so they go down okay and, and it, that's how that's how we do it a lot in the sim too uh, as soon as we spawn in we engage the spoilers and then of course right as we throttle up we uh we disengage them so yeah just to try to keep it as real as possible yeah yeah and that's exactly how it works yeah we have a the switch that when you go to line up on the runway you switch it from taxi to flight and that's all and then that's all it is it's telling it hey when i bring the power up i want to go flying so you can retract cool awesome uh jason that pilot that you said that was flying the was it an embryer oh it wasn't an airbus or a boeing so it was a small jet small passenger jet of course it wasn't an airbus they only have (laughs) two buttons take off and taxi so you can't tell it anything else anyway um I, I didn't know if you got the name of the pilot. I didn't know if the last name was Smively of that pilot or not. So, <laughs> oh, sorry, uh, Duncan. That's a little inside um, infinite flight joke. We have a guy in our community. He's one of our, you know, one of our controllers, longtime controllers. He's the only person I know who can screw up an auto land. Yeah, <laughs> Cat three landing. Nope. Joshua crashes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, bless his heart. Yeah, yeah. No, the autopilot's better. <laughs> I don't think his name was Joshua, but uh, Damien is asking. Uh, he's this is a cool question, actually. He says, uh, "I'm currently exploring the Porter Airlines First Officer Recruitment Program at Brampton Flight Center. If you're familiar with it, which it, obviously you are, uh, what are your thoughts? How necessary is a university education to obtain a job as a pilot in Canada, and I guess specifically, let's say Ontario?" Uh. Yeah, actually, that this one's uh, this is pretty good. I am very familiar with it. I was involved in the program as a uh, as a mentor for uh, for two people um, that uh, I guess are hoping to be Porter Airline pilots one day. Uh, yeah, it's a great great program. It's a great way to 
um, engage with the company and get, you know, get, get your foot in the door, get an understanding of what the company culture like is like, get an idea of what regional flying is like and if it's for you. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an awesome program and you get to be able to talk to people who currently work there and get tips on, uh, on how to advance your career. I certainly wish somebody, you know, there were certain moments that, uh, I've been fairly fortunate with my career, um, with just, you know, jobs and stuff falling into place, but, uh, that's not always the case. And it would have been nice to have somebody there to kind of bounce some questions off of and, and things like that for, for future planning. Um, as far as the university education goes, uh, most of the job postings I've seen have uh, usually have on them attached either a university education or an aviation college uh, diploma. Um, it's not a requirement, obviously. Uh, there's nothing in you know the Canadian aviation rules that say that you have to have such an education. Um, but you know, there, there are a lot of pilots out there and if you're looking for something to put yourself kind of like above the next guy or girl who may be applying, um, it's just one more thing for your resume. Uh, so that's kind of the only reason I would maybe recommend it, um, is it's just, like I said, it's another, it's another notch on your resume that separates you from the other hundred people who may be applying for the same position. Okay. Awesome. Um, a guy named Claude, who is Canadian but now living in the New York City area, he asked about the new C-Series jets flying out of Toronto Island, but that sounds like we've kind of already covered that, um, the C-Series from Bombardier. Is there uh, any chance that you might be um, on on that jet at some point in the near future? I guess you're going Embraer next. Yeah, the Embraer will be the next, uh, the next plan. Um, as far as I know, the C-Series won't be operating out of the island soon. Um, it's not to say never, um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't have any inside information on uh, on any of that. All I've got is the stuff that I've read uh, read in the media and the news and that sort of stuff. Uh, okay, stuff as well. Okay, um, it'd be really cool. It'd be nice to be able because obviously the service out of downtown is uh, is you know is very popular. It'd be nice to be able to fly to Vancouver and LA and further places from here. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something for the, the politicians and the governmental officials. I will say that at least we don't have uh, a, a municipal government in Toronto who's planning on shutting the airport down like happened in Chicago. That yeah, would exactly. Be yeah. A it, huge it, shame. Our mayor is still very yeah. much on board with aviation in, in the city. Um, and they're still very much on board with the Island airport. Let me just interject here. I would prefer the ERJ over the C, uh, what is it? The C series, yeah, the new C, C series, C 100, C 1000, C 3000, I think, isn't it? Something like that. It's yeah, a side, it's, 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 there's the 100 it, and the 300 series. Yeah, there you go. It's a side stick. I mean, it's, it, <laughs> Mark it, hates the side stick. I hate the side stick. I, you know, give me a yoke. You know, that's all I want. <laughs> so you so, must be a Boeing man then. I'm definitely a Boeing guy. The, you know, <clears throat> You know, I've flown a buddy of mine owns a Cirrus, uh, the SR twenty two, and um and and I've flown it and it's a lot of fun to fly. It took a little bit to get used to, but I want my yoke. Yeah. You know. But especially Mark, when you have a handheld GPS, it's easier to mount the GPS on the yoke than it is on a side stick. Yeah, you've gotta yeah. you've gotta give Airbus a little bit of props though. Uh, who who gets to 
go and and fly at a major airlines uh a320 sim the way we got to oh yeah i mean don't get me wrong i you know if i was assigned to an aircraft sure you know but if i'm given a choice uh boeing hello (laughs) yeah okay all right cool a lot of people asked duncan what was your favorite uh route or airport but i think that we uh we kind of covered that Uh, it sounds like uh the island has a special place in your heart and uh yeah of course it always will and then yeah like like we discussed those uh that chicago and that the newark one are uh are pretty neat so yeah if you get a chance to do those i'd say uh i'd say do it because it's a nice view awesome uh we will be maybe looking forward to well we'll certainly be watching you on instagram we'll be looking forward to seeing uh what new destinations open up and uh, i'm sure you'll find lots of new favorite airports and routes in the future as you uh expand your career so good luck with everything Awesome. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, uh, Duncan, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we let you go? Uh, I don't think so. Just uh, thanks to you guys for, for having me on. I, I enjoyed my time here. Thanks to everybody who's uh, who's listening. And, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a great show. I really enjoyed it. So thank you guys. Cool. All right. I'm going to be in the city uh, in February on my way to San Francisco for uh, kind of a meetup that we're doing uh with uh, these guys so for a live podcast so i'll uh, let you know when i'm in the city and maybe we can uh hook up for a drink or something yeah sounds great cool i probably won't be there anytime soon so you got to come up and visit mark i've got f- some float flying lined up and all kinds of stuff here in town i know I, I, i'm ready. going to come to canada which you already know why i'm coming to canada mm-hmm. but i'm coming to canada you know well i've got to get some cigars of course we can't get those here the yep. ones that i want but yeah, I'll I'll make a trip up there, but no time soon. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if you're looking to do some float flying, Georgian Bay and uh, and the Muskoka Lakes are some pretty beautiful places to do it. So absolutely, cool. All right, guys. Uh, thanks to both of you for being here. Uh, guys, look for Airline Flying Toronto on Instagram, and you can check out all of Duncan's flying adventures. Duncan, thanks again. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. That was Real World Dash 8 pilot Duncan Gillespie, and he joined us from snowy Toronto, Ontario on Skype. Thanks as always for listening, and if you haven't already, head over to the App Store or Google Play and download Infinite Flight. For more of the podcast, visit our website and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or YouTube. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Flightcast Audio. Flightcast is brought to you by Linkhouse Media on the web at linkhousemedia.com. We can always use your financial help to keep the podcast rolling, and a few ways to do that are by clicking the donate button at the bottom of our website or by heading to our website at flightcast.audio slash shop to buy your own Flightcast gear. To cover the fine print, Flightcast is not affiliated with Infinite Flight or Flying Development Studio. I'm Jason Rosewell. Thanks for listening and happy landings. Bombardier's got a, uh, an interesting thing where they don't like people mounting things to the cockpit. Um, so that one's uh, li- somewhat limiting, um, but I'll, uh, I'll, maybe I'll get a jump seat or something to give me, uh, give me a hand. There's no need. You, you, I'm all. I'm here. I've already offered my services. You just need to. You just need to tell me when. All right. All right. Jason will just have to hold his hands over his head with the camera because uh, he won't be able to see over the dash. So. Yeah. Well, uh, exactly. Well, we'll get him. Uh, we'll get him a selfie stick so he can reach higher. <laughs> Facebook is brought to you by Facebook. Man, I've gotten the last the last couple times have been good, eh, Mark? The last few times you've done yeah. well. That's because I've ha- I had a drink.
those other times, I think. That's why. Yeah, we do normally do them later it's at the middle night. of the day. Here we go. Duncan Gillespie is a Q400 pilot for Sky Regional here in Canada, and before that, held positions with Porter Airlines, also on the Q400, and Cameron... <laughs> <clears throat> I'll throw myself on mute here, and uh, you guys just let me know, I guess, eh? Yeah, I'll just say welcome to the podcast, and you can unmute and say hello. All right. <laughs> I love it, man. Truly Canadian, eh? I love it. Yeah. I love it. Oh, you're going to... I try and... I think I subconsciously tone it down, the Canadianism down a little bit when I'm talking... Well, you're you're a strong influence on me, Mark, but I... And I lived in the States for a while, but as soon as there's another Canadian in the podcast, it's just going to go through the roof. Starts coming back? Yep. All right. Mark, any chance uh, you'd mind if I got to an interview here at some point? Any, any way you mind kissing my <laughs> you, you know, you can relax. We're just a couple of idiots. The professionalism is low. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I've learned anything, don't trust pilots. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no.